0: You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast, recorded in Scottsdale, Arizona. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at banner.church. Man, what a, what a crazy weekend. My, my wife and I, I feel like we've been running 100 miles an hour, huh? Man, it feels great. It's been a, it's been a weird couple weeks, I'm going to be totally honest. Uh, because every time we do 21 days of prayer and fasting, I feel like my life is just bananas. Um, but like in a really cool way, and also like a really scary way. Anyone ever lived in that season of life? It's like this is really cool and terrifying simultaneously. Um, and so my wife and I, we have been going through the adoption process, and man. I've learned a lot. If you want to adopt a child, I would say before you go through the process, I mean, we're not even, we are not—we don't have a kid, but come talk to me. I'll tell you, like, they're going to say to do this, don't do any of that. Uh, they're going to tell you don't do this, super do that. <laughs> or else later, a different government agency will be like, why didn't you do that? Be like, well, they told me, oh, yeah, no, you have to, you know. So we've learned some lessons. Um, but, we, you know, we got to this point before the 21 days of prayer and fasting where I kind of, I you know, tell me if you've been to this point where I was like, I know what the Lord has called us to. But what if we did this other easier thing, right? And, like, would God really be mad? Would he be mad? I don't think he would be mad at us. Uh, and my wife is so spiritual, and she's, she said, no, you know, this is what God has called us to, and this is what we're going to do. Like, men, find you a wife that won't let you settle for anything less than the promises of God. Um, women, find you a man that will, I don't know wake up every morning and read his Bible, I don't know, whatever the opposite of that is, <laughs> if he doesn't read the Bible, he's not going to pay attention to you, uh, like if he doesn't listen to God, he's not listening to you, um, the, anyways, um, <laughs> this is not my point, I'm so off topic, but I'm just, I'm, gonna get, I'm in a good mood, so whatever, I was free, that was for you, whoever that is, not looking at anybody, just look at the floor, um, <laughs> Anyways, uh, so we've been praying and we we're, were really discouraged, if I'm gonna be honest, really discouraged, but just praying in faith and, you know, being like, God has given us a stream, but it just is not happening. And in our 21 days of prayer and fasting, we got contacted. Which is kind of unusual, but the state contacted us. Normally, we have to contact them, but they contacted us through our agency about a potential child who is available. This little kid named Andy. We're like, man, that's so cool. That's so cute. And uh, let let's just let's pray about this in the fast. Like, what what is God going to do? And so what we found out uh, is we had this moment when Katie and I were, were having kids, and you know we we had our our journey in even having kids. And we had had two names picked out. We had had Lucy for our daughter, which we had a girl. We named her Lucy. And we had a Henry for a boy. And obviously we had a girl, so we we chose Lucy. Um, (laughs) Wanted her life to be easier. Uh, And they came to us in the middle of this fasting, and they said, listen, the boy's name is not actually Andy. The boy's name is Henry. And we feel like, you know, this is a good fit. And so on Friday, we had our meeting. And we had all these people praying for us. It was amazing. Thank you, everybody who prayed for us. That means the world uh, to us, honestly. Like, we felt so loved this weekend, uh, people praying with us. And I love that about this church is that, like, we pray for one another. And I really believe when we say, like, I'm praying for you, that, like, we are actually praying for each other. And so we had a meeting Friday, and they called us and said, hey, you guys have been accepted to adopt Henry as your son. So, Yeah. So Katie cried. And then I cried, and then because I was crying, Katie was crying more, because I don't cry a lot. Now that I have a daughter, I cry more than I ever did. But um, I was like, I'm going it's fine, everything's okay. And then I just like burst out crying. Um, but it's, it's really cool. I want to encourage you in that, because this is a journey we're, we're still on for a long time, um, and it will continue, is that if you feel like God began to awaken something in your life in the 21 days of prayer and fasting, don't stop continue praying and fasting as a discipline. I'm not saying to continue every day fasting, but I'm saying keep that as a strong discipline in your life. Don't just give a chunk, but that was to kickstart a discipline for the whole year in our life, right? It was charging us up. Uh, and so for us, I really wanna encourage you guys, A, first and foremost, thank you for supporting us. We need continued support, uh, and so we thank you for that. But most importantly, I just wanna encourage you that never stop believing for breakthrough in your life. And for some of you, I want to encourage you, man, maybe just believe again. Maybe just, maybe believe again. And, and I say that as someone who's in a place like, man, maybe we should just not do this anymore because maybe we'll let's just do something else. It's not worth to hurt like this. And I felt like God spoke to me, believe again. And so I want to encourage you with that too. Believe again, believe again, believe again, and we believe that God's good, amen? Amen. Um, also next week, speaking of kids, we have this Silly String showdown happening in kids' ministry next week, and I don't know if y'all were a part of this reptile thing they did It was flipping awesome, but uh, if you know anybody with kids, you gotta bring them to these kids' events. They are so cool, and they're really an amazing opportunity for kids to be in a safe and fun place, and more and more in the world, that's harder and harder to find, where a kid is just loved for and cared for and safe, 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 as a parent, safe. And it's fun. So they're doing this whole obstacle course. Um, Austin was back there. Like the beautiful mind just laying out papers, sketching out everything. They got sit little hot their cans of silly string. They got to go through American gladiator style. Uh, I, don't, I think they had the art. It looks like just 80s. And so it's going to be awesome. But I encourage you, if you know anybody with kids, invite them, bring them. But it's going to be a great day. Well, let's do this. If you brought your Bible, open up to Mark chapter 2. If not, the words will be on the screen. And we're going to read this together. It's one of my favorite parts of scripture. Actually, if we, can, if we listen, we might be able to hear him worshiping this here. Can you hear him singing down there? some of you yeah. hi, It's very cute. Uh, but let's pray and we're going to read Mark chapter 2 together. Lord God, we thank you this morning for your word. God, we thank you that you are with us. Holy Spirit, we just rejoice over that this morning. And I pray as we go through the scripture that you would speak to us, God, I feel like you're stirring up a fire and just something fresh inside of us. So I pray that that would burn inside of us in an incredible and fresh and powerful way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, hey, let's read this. I just want to read the whole thing, kind of get the whole story here and then um, or the whole picture of what's happening. And then we'll kind of go back through. And remember, as so we're reading this, these are real people in real places. This really happened. This is not just if you went to Sunday school to felt bored, or it's not just another book. It, it is crucially something that happened. And so let's read this. Uh, let's read the scripture together. Mark 2, verse 1, it says, And when he, meaning Jesus, returned to Capernaum after some days it was reported that he was at home, meaning in his hometown, Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their heart, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive the sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up, take your bed and walk? but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise up, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Amen? That's, that's a great line. We never saw anything like this. I bet. I really love this moment because I, I, I feel like we can put ourselves there. And, and if you need to, I mean, it's nice because we live in the desert, so we can picture a little bit more setting. Uh, but not, we don't live in, you know, obviously in the Middle East, so we, we miss a little bit of it. But I think as people, we can put ourselves in this situation. It says, verse 2, many gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. What's amazing is it doesn't say he was healing a bunch of people. It says he was preaching the word. What was the word? The word was he was preaching from the law and speaking to how he has come to fulfill. That's what Jesus did, right? He spoke about who God was, who he was. He was preaching the gospel of himself and who he was. And so the gospel drew a crowd. And it says, and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Okay, put yourself in this position. Here are five guys. One of them is paralyzed. Four of them are not paralyzed. And they're all together. And they hear, we don't know how they hear, but they hear about, because, you know, small towns, word travels fast. Anyone from a small town, like, you know instantly everything about everyone uh, we have some people that move you from Coeur d'Alene, and I always crack up, like, this should be, like, a small drama on, like, uh, VH1, like, Coeur because it's, like, this small, everybody knows everyone and what's going on, right, right, okay, yes, I'm from a small town, people know, they know, and so, I don't know how they know, but they know, and so, they came back, and they said, hey, man, Jesus is back, and I've heard some crazy stuff, and then one of the four, because this is how people work, they're, like, Jesus, like, yeah, like Jesus from here, Jesus. They were like, yeah, yeah, Jesus, like from high school, Jesus. Yeah, no, Jesus, he's a healer now. They're like, really? I thought he, I thought he built chairs. I'm like, no, he's a healer now. He's again, I'm, I'm, I'm just putting us there. I don't know what happened. This is just for fun, so don't email me later. Be like, he didn't actually build chairs. They didn't have chairs in the Middle East set on the floor. I don't know. <laughs> Ease up. <laughs> but they're like, hey, Jesus, Jesus. They're like, really that Jesus? Um. Uh, Joseph and Mary's Jesus? They're like, yeah, like Mary, like, you know, like, like Mary, 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 like, you know, said that God knocked her up and really stuck to her story, Mary? Yes, that Mary. Uh, <laughs> it was that Mary. Like, really? Yeah, he's back, and he's a healer. We need to go find this guy, right? And I can't even imagine that moment of that dialogue, like, okay, I don't know about Jesus, but if he's a healer, Jewish healers weren't unusual in that day. If he's a healer and he can heal Steve or whatever his name is, then we're getting Steve to Jesus, right? There's that moment, right? Like, fine, we're getting, we're getting whoever this is, John, whoever Steve, we're getting him to Jesus. And so they have this attitude of like, all right, if if Jesus can heal him, we'll just do whatever it takes, right? Like, I, it is amazing how we will be so desperate when we need help, right? If if you're in a state. Where you are completely trapped and paralyzed in whatever it might be, physically, spiritually, mentally. It is amazing the things that we will just jump on because we're like, literally, I'll do anything, right? This is how multi-level marketing schemes get you. It's like, anything. I just need money. Like, Well, then buy $800 of this product and you'll be fine, right? It's like, oh, that didn't really work. I know. It didn't work for me either, but thank you for being in my downstream. <laughs> Anyways, so he says, okay, we just got to get him. And so what happens is they get, they get him on a bed and says they, they bring him to Jesus, which means they what? They carried him to Jesus. Have you ever carried dead weight? It's like some real work, right? Like if, if it was like, okay, Ben, Caleb, Patrick, and me, we're going to carry Felix to go find Jesus on a bed, like, that would still be, that'd be some work. I mean, Felix is fit, but like it would still be work if he couldn't move and it was just us in like, I don't know, a rug with some sticks and we were carrying, I thought about trying it, but I didn't want to get drop somebody and get sued by anyone. Uh, but it would be work to carry him and so they're carrying him to Jesus. So like, you know, whatever it takes, we're gonna get him. They're sweating, they're probably like this, why are we doing this? They're carrying him around, trying to find this house where they know Jesus is, following the crowd. And I love this because good friends carry each other to Jesus, I love this, is who you surround yourself with will decide where you get carried. See, sometimes we're the friends, and sometimes we're the paralytic. But the question we have to ask ourselves is, who's going to carry me when I cannot walk? You say, well, no, I'm strong. I'm I'm independent. I, I lead my friend group. Like, okay, great. We all need someone to carry us at some point in our life. And so when we look at our life, and I remember when we would do young adult ministry, I would tell young adults all the time, listen, you show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Because your friends will always carry you one way. And if you are in a place of paralysis, spiritually, mentally, physically, wherever you are, and you have given people license into your life, then it is important to know where they're going to carry you. Are they going to carry you to Jesus when you're having relationship trouble? Are they going to carry you to Jesus when you're struggling in your life, in your self-worth, in your your self-doubt, in your identity? Or are they going to carry you over here to addictions? Are they going to carry you to easy relationships that end up hurting you in the long run are they going to tell you whatever you want to hear because they don't want to actually carry you they just want to kind of like roll you over a little bit and just look in a different direction who carries you will decide where you end up and who you surround yourself with will decide where you get carried we say well no I'm the leader of my friend group man everyone listens to me yeah that's adorable but that's not true Even if you are the strong leader in your group, the people in your life influence you where you're going. We believe this in almost every part of life, leadership, finance, everything. But for some reason, when it comes to our soul, we give our soul to people who are not carrying us closer to Jesus. But what we need is people around us who lift us up. Most importantly, too, we need to be the kind of people that carry others to Jesus. Where do you carry your friends? Are your friends better because of you? See, some of us, we are so selfish that we only think about what we get from friendships. We don't even think about where we're carrying other people because it's about us. Well, I'm broken. I need to be carried. It's true. But also, you could walk. You need to carry some people to Jesus, not to the bar, not to the clubs, not into these relationships, but to Jesus. Where are we carrying people? Because the men, they said, listen, our friend is paralyzed, and I don't know every answer. I don't even know if we can get in, but I'm going to carry my friend to Jesus because I love them. I'm committed to them. And so, yeah, the easiest thing would be like, hey, man, you know what? It's kind of like a hot day, and, uh, I mean, are you sure this is going to work? I don't know if this is going to work. man. Hey, man, why don't we just, like, go get a drink and cool off? It's too hot. They're like, no, we're going to Jesus, whatever it takes. And it says, verse 4, and when they could not get near Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. I like this moment because um, I, you know, hang out with guys, and this is how this would go. I can tell you for a fact this is how it would go. They would, you know, let's say, um, am I going to pick here, Patrick. Patrick comes and tells us we're all hanging out, and they're like, we got to get Felix to Jesus. I'm just picking Felix. He can walk, trust me. It's true. He'll show you later. Uh, He's like, we got to get Felix to Jesus. And I'm like, okay. Let's go. Whatever you say, man. You're like, I know this guy. He's a healer. He's going to heal him. And so we get Caleb and we get Ben and we get him. We hike like a mile and a half. I'm like, bro, where are we going? Where is this house? And then finally we turn the corner. We get to the house. And at the house is just like a crowd of people. Just so many people. We can't get in. Here's what happens. Everybody looks at Patrick and is like, dude, what the heck? Like, why did we just carry him all the way here if we couldn't get, like, that would be what happens, right? It's always got to be someone's fault. Like, hey, I told you guys there was a lot of people. It was kind of going to be a thing. Like, bro, you told us there would be parking. There's not even parking. Why are we here? Like, come on, man. Like, but that's not what happens. It says, in this moment, the crowd is so big. When they, and, I, and I think that's so interesting. In Mark, the word crowd is not a good word. That messes with us. In an age of influencers following in crowds, we are struck by the mighty contrast that is Mark. Because in Mark, crowds uh, are, I mean, they're used in different ways all throughout Scripture. But in Mark specifically, the terminology of a crowd was, is only really used to show an obstruction for access to Jesus. It's not a sign of success. It's actually a sign of people who kind of were receiving all this from Jesus but stood in complete ambivalence to him, sometimes opposition to him. That's why he taught crowds and parables. If you read through scripture, you see, whenever there was a big crowd, Jesus would say something really controversial, like, you got to eat my body and drink my blood. And everyone's like, yeah, peace. Because I don't know. They're just like, hey, man, come see, come to my church. And then the pastor gets up and is like, eat my body. And you're like, no, we're good. We're out. Right? Because he spoke to crowds in parables. The crowds were this opposition. In fact, in this scripture, crowd is the word oklos, and house is the word oikos, which is this alliterative rhyme to show this contrast that's happening. Here's the contrast Mark is showing. This hit me so hard. Enthusiasm for Jesus, or even proximity to him, are not the same as faith. And sometimes the opposite. The scribes and the Pharisees were the closest to Jesus. That's what they always did. They like scrambled for access around Jesus. So if Jesus is sitting here, you had scribe numero uno usually here. He's trying to get close. But he wasn't like, I mean, if I was sitting next to Jesus, I'd just be crying like, oh, my gosh, he knows all my sins. <laughs> you know, like, oh, Jesus, like refiners." Uh, but not them. They, their heart was, was hardened against him. It was in opposition to him. It, it, was, it was counter, and so we think like, oh, they were close to Jesus No, they were in opposition to who He was. See, being a part of a crowd is not the same as being a disciple. You could come to church for the next 100 years and never be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Because your proximity and your religious participation does not a disciple make. See, a crowd observes. A crowd says, I- I'm going to come, check us out, see what it is for me, see if I agree with it or not. Or, you know, it's like a crowd is an arm's length observation thing. i got to check my box at Jesus time. i got to be seen at church so Josh and Katie don't call me later and be like, hey, man, how are you doing? Then i got to make up some excuse that I was working, even though I have social media. I know you're not working. And so i, I got to check the box at Jesus time. That's a crowd. But a disciple is committed to action. A disciple says whatever it takes to get people to Jesus. A disciple is in movement, in an action. It says, if an opening can't be found, we're going to make one. See, there were disciples in there. There were people in the crowd. But who is, are, is God showing in this moment in Scripture? Who had the faith? Who was the disciple? The men on the outside. The five men who could not get in. They're the ones that God is showing has the faith. They, they got to the door, and they're like, come on, Patrick, you didn't tell me there was going to be all these people. And Patrick's like, Hey, man, we can't get through the door. We can't get through the window. Let's go to the roof. And so up they go, right, through the roof. Like, all right, we're going to do this. They climbed up. They said, okay, whatever it takes to get our friend to Jesus, we can't go this way. We can't go this way. We got to go another way. So they removed a part of the roof. So it says in verse 4, it says, verse 4, and when they could not get near him because of the crowd, because of the obstacle, because of what was blocking them, because all these people were around them, but none of them had the disciples' heart to turn around and see that there was a paralyzed man and say, you know what, we should probably let this guy go in front of us and get to Jesus. They left the marginalized outside, and they just were fine sitting in with Jesus. So when they could not get near because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed in which the paralytic lay. Okay, show this picture. I have a couple pictures here. Now, these are paintings, so they do, they're they're close. Here's one. You can kind of see the arches, and so they removed kind of these branches. This is, I tried to find some good depictions of what would have been a house. Houses in the time, they were a a courtyard with rooms, and then in in the middle, and then it was covered, and they would just kind of sit all in that space there. They were usually a little darker because uh, there's no glass, so smaller windows, less bugs, all those kind of things. And then there's one more. I like this one because it looks like they dropped him. <laughs> but it's just so, the, the visual is so aggressive of just like feet hanging down and arms and they just went all in. And I, I just want to imagine that moment with me, with, with you. So the house is made and we can just we'll leave this up. But the house is made of like uh, clay. And you ever see adobe houses if you're here, right? And clay and straw and all kinds of things in the house. And so it wasn't unusual, actually, to take a roof apart of a house to drop, like, grain or different things in. But in order to do it, you had to break up the clay and all that stuff. You had to take the pieces and move them over. And so I'm, I was trying to think, how long would it take to make a human-sized hole by hand in a roof? I don't know, let's say 15 minutes. Okay, could you imagine right now? I know we're in a building. If all of a sudden we just heard humans on the roof digging through with their bare hands, and for 15 minutes, or however long it took, we were just like, huh, we would not, A, we would not be that calm, we'd be freaking out, right, Jesus is like, and the kingdom's coming from heaven, and all of a sudden, pieces start falling off the roof, right, so here's Jesus, he's speaking in this moment, and the roof begins to open up, and everyone, I'm sure, did this, oh, would ever talking in I know because of some, someone the other week walked by with a dog in a stroller, and we all watched for like two minutes. I know. So everyone would be watching this moment of this man descending down, and there's this rustling. They think the house is coming down. Pieces start coming. Light starts coming through, and they're like, are people? Someone, and the person in the house is like, someone's digging through my roof, right? Like, you're a homeowner. You're like, what the heck, man? Like, and here comes this guy. Let down in the middle of the room. Now, can you think of this moment? Like digging 15 minutes. All of a sudden, people are like, what is happening? Are we about to get arrested? Who knows? And all of a sudden, here comes this man on like a rug, totally paralyzed, right? Just descending down like, what's up, guys? Right? Like there's no control over his body, right? Because he's paralyzed. He can't walk at least. Just getting lowered by four friends, the grunting of lowering a human body. And here he comes just down in the room, like right in the middle of the sermon, like, so, like, right? Drop down in the middle. And it says, when Jesus saw their faith, what did he do? He, what did he say? He'd stop tearing apart the house? No. It says, when he saw their faith, he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus saw their faith. You can see faith. See, the first mention of faith in Mark is not a feeling. It's an action. Faith is not knowledge about Jesus. Faith is active trust that Jesus is sufficient for our deepest and most heartfelt needs. Faith is Jesus is enough, and I will do whatever it takes to get to Jesus. Hear me. Faith is not knowledge about Jesus. Some of you need to hear this today. It's not just knowing about Jesus. Faith is active Trust, Not just trust, active trust that Jesus is sufficient for our deepest and most heartfelt needs. How far are you willing to go to get to Jesus? How far are you willing to go to get your friends to Jesus? These guys, I mean, I can just imagine this moment, this man being lowered down. And when he's lowered down, throw that picture up again. When he's lowered down, I mean, he's, he's here now. You can't lift him back up. Like, he's there. That's an all or nothing moment. You're either crowd surfing him out or he's walking out, right? It is unavoidable. It cannot be changed. How far are you willing to go? See, in fact, these guys that dropped this guy and they were violating cultural laws, it's interesting, there's a story in the Talmud that, that comes out where, in, in Jewish tradition, where a rabbi, his uh, funeral bed was too big to fit through the door. And so the disciples said, let's go through the roof. I, I think it's a great idea. And they said, no, no, no. It's against honor. It's honor to make the doorway wider. And so they said, okay. And they made the doorway wider. They're going against even cultural traditions. They said, man, I, I, don't, I don't care if I look dumb. I just I want to get someone into Jesus. Let me, let me tell you, if you can't get through the door and you can't get through the window, then go through the roof. If you can't get through the roof, then go through the floor. If you can't get through the floor, then go through the wall. Whatever obstacle has been set up, you got to break through that obstacle. So we have this phrase like, well, when God closes a door, he opens a window. Sure, sometimes, but sometimes every flipping window on the place is locked. And every door is locked. And so, what we need to do is say, you know what? Every, okay, door's locked, window's locked. I'm just gonna go up to the roof. I'm just gonna dig through this roof till I can get to what I need. I'm gonna break through with my hands. I'm gonna dig through with all that I am because, more than anything, I'm gonna do whatever it takes to get this person who I know needs healing in their life to Jesus. Are you with me? Whatever it takes. There isn't always an open door. Sometimes there has to be a roof. Sometimes you got to dig through. See, sometimes in your life, the door is locked because of anxiety and the windows are shut because of fear. But you need to go through the roof and get breakthrough so you can get into Jesus. What is the man-made obstacle that's stopping you right now? See, Jesus is always near. Jesus is never hard to find. But often in life, there are human obstacles that have been put up or erected between us and Jesus. Let me give you one. Bitterness, pain, hurt, biases, isolation, pride. There are things that we have set up between God and ourselves. But what I love about these men is they said the things that have set up in the world between us and Jesus cannot stand up against what God wants to do in our friend's life. So we're just breaking through. We're making a mess. I don't, we called it evangelism in the first service. <laughs> I don't care what it takes. I'm getting my friend to Jesus. I'll pay the bill later. I'll deal with my schedule later. Oh, I'll change this later. I'll wash the dishes later. I'll do this later. Whatever. I'm getting my friends to Jesus. See, this is faith. Only Jesus is sufficient. But faith lives in action, which is whatever it takes to get people to Jesus. Some of us, we got to awaken that spirit in our church. It says, if I can't get if we can't get them through a door, if we can't get them through a window, then I'm breaking through the roof. There is nothing that will stop me. Yeah, I know there's this cultural thing. I know there's this personal hurt, but nothing's stopping me from getting you to Jesus. Whatever we got to do, we get to the house and it's full. We get to the window and it's full. And Patrick and I look at each other and we're like, man, we're getting them to Jesus. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes, we're going to sweat, we're going to bleed, we're going to break up the stone. Everyone's going to think we're stupid. Everyone's going to think we're crazy. They're going to yell at us. We we'll probably have to leave town, but it's fine because their eternity is secured. Amen? Like we're getting them to Jesus because whatever it takes. If I could instill something in us as a church in this nation, it would be that we would have an attitude of not whatever it costs me, but whatever it takes to get to Jesus. What does it take to win this city for Jesus? Let's sacrifice that. I love, uh, I was talking with my friend Carolyn Tennant, who's amazing. Her and her husband are here. They're fantastic people. And uh, we were talking this week about the Iranian church and all that God is doing in Iran. And so I kind of, after our conversation, I just spent like the whole day Googling uh, the Iranian church and all that God's doing. And it is absolutely the most mind-blowing and convicting thing that you can read about in your life. Because the Iranian church is the fastest growing church in the world, and simultaneously, the most persecuted church in the world, think about that they 're underground, and so we were talking about uh, these women and, and I was like I was just on this I get into research thing I was just researching these women that, that are have handed out hundred a hundred thousand over a hundred thousand Bibles in Farsi in Iran and it's amazing when you begin to go research what is happening in that church is that there are people and people that have given their lives and put in prison. And then when they were in prison, they begin to minister to the prostitutes in the prison and build a ministry from what they had in the prison. Think about that. Whatever it takes. And we were talking about a man and a woman, a husband and wife that came to America. And the wife, after three months, looks at the husband and says, I can't do this anymore. God's calling us back to Iran. And, and she said that she said, I would rather die in the church in Iran that essentially is doing whatever it takes to reach their people than I would live another moment in the apathetic American church. I know my pastor, I'm just supposed to always talk. Good. That's so spot on. Could you imagine you have a ministry in the heart where you're just pouring your life out and you come to church and you're like, and you come to America and you're like, hey, we should love on these people. And people are like, I know, but I got soccer. You'd be like, what? (laughs) You out of your mind? Right? Like people are going to hell and we're like, well, I don't know, maybe. And what's amazing is that the Iranian church is exploding because people are what? They're doing whatever it takes to reach people for the gospel. So hundreds of thousands of people in some of the worst oppression that has ever happened, being brutalized, tortured, beaten, are literally... Leading their country, not only locally in the Persian Empire, but all across the world. We went to Bangkok, and there was a group of Persian people that met every week. And they go to the part of Bangkok where all the Persians have come as refugees, and they just share Christ. We went to the Muslim center in Bangkok, and the dude shared Christ with somebody at the Muslim center of Bangkok. Why? Because whatever it takes... Think about the Chinese church. I, the, before the Iranian church kind of took this mantle, it was the Chinese church that led, right, as the fastest growing church. And I still remember reading about how they're like, religion is done. We've killed religion. We've killed Christianity. Then they distributed over a million Bibles in a year. And it was one of the fastest growing churches. They said, fine, you know what? If culturally the door is closed, if government's the door is closed, then what we're going to do is we're going to take cars and we're going to fill them with Bibles and we might get arrested and be sent to camps that are more horrible than you could ever imagine, but we're going to break through the roof in the name of Jesus because people need to know him. Amen? I think of the Moravians, uh, a part of the Hut movement. You can look it up later, but they had 150 years of continuous prayer and they were so devoted to spreading the gospel that two men in the Hut movement said, We feel like God is calling us to reach the slaves of these slave colonies, but we can't. They won't let us go because we're white. It's kind of a weird thing, Uh, and so they said, "Okay, we need to sell ourselves into slavery so that we can reach the reach these slaves." And so they did. They sold themselves into slavery for the lambs of the so they couldn't reach them culturally or, or, or commitment or whatever it was. So they sold themselves into slavery and they said, fine, we'll be slaves so that we can go to these places. And they baptized 13,000 people before the first official missionary ever arrived. Why? Because whatever it takes, if you can't get through the door and you can't get them through the window, then go through the roof. That's the church. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes to get people into a relationship with a God who loves them. First Corinthians 9, 19 says this. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. This is Paul talking. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside of the law of God, but of the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To, became, to, to the weak, I became the weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings." Why break through such obstacles? Why the pursuit? Because they had faith that Jesus could heal. Why did these men go through the roof knowing what it would cost? Because they had faith that Jesus could heal. Because they had faith that he was more than just some guy. Because Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. And in verse 5, chapter 2 of Mark, if you're still there, it says, And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, this is an endearing term. This is a heartfelt term. Imagine the heart heart of Jesus just filling with joy when he sees this kind of pursuit. He says, Your sins are forgiven. I think that was unexpected. If you're a paralyzed man lowered down to a healer and you're in that moment, And you're coming down, and you're looking, and they lay you down. And you're like, okay, here we go. It's all or nothing. And Jesus looks at you. He doesn't say, you're healed. He says, your sins are forgiven. He'd be like, yeah, like soup's still paralyzed, though. (sighs) I'm (laughs) I'm still here. It was not the answer I think he was looking for. But it was what he needed. See, Jewish healers rarely forgave sins. It would have been shocking for people to hear that. Jewish healers rarely forgave people of their sins. You know, they thought sin and infirmity were linked. If you got sick or if you, had a, a, if you were paralyzed, it was because of your sin or your father's sin or something. So there was a lot of linking there for them. And so they said, you know what, we, can, uh, we would do rites of healing, but we would never do anything having to do with sins because that is the sole right of God. And it turns out they're actually right. That is the sole position of God to forgive sins. Isaiah 43, 25 says, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. By saying, I forgive your sins. Remember, he's let down. And the first thing that, that he's told us, your sins are forgiven. By saying that, he was looking at the man and saying, I am God. You thought you were being lowered down to a, a Jewish healer. It turns out, I'm not just a Jewish healer. I'm not just a teacher that said some nice things. I, I'm God, fully man fully God and so the scribes freak and it says in verse 6 7 they said he's blaspheming right because it was blasphemy to say that you're God if you're not right it's blasphemy to say I'm God I can heal your sins if you're not actually God and it turns out they were right it is blasphemy to say that but they were wrong because Jesus is God and so he perceives in his spirit, he's letting him kind of work it out, and then he directs them. Because there's something that God wants to do within us. It's not just to heal our physical paralysis. It's to heal our spiritual paralysis. See, God's goal is not just to heal our physical condition, but our spiritual condition. God's goal is not just to redeem us physically, but to redeem us eternally. He's saying, hey, man, these men on the roof get it. Why don't you get it? I'm not just a healer or a teacher. I'm the Messiah. I've come to restore not just the body but the soul. I've come to restore my people into relationship with me, into what I created them to have with me. I've come not just to heal and pass on that we might be left in the same eternal condition, but I've come to bring salvation once and for all, to be the sacrifice once and for all. And so verse 10, he says this, but that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, verse 11, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. He says, I'm going to use the power of God to show that I am God. I'm going to support my claim with my authority in the spirit of what I'm about to do. And so he tells the man, he said, well, what's easier, saying his sins are forgiven or the paralytic to get up and walk? And in their brains, they all thought paralytic, collectively, yes, we agree, paralytic. And he's like, great, get up, dude, get your mat, go out with your friends, have a party. I'm sure they did, right? See, Jesus has come not just to heal you physically, but to heal you spiritually. See, we don't just break through the roof to bring our friends so that they might have a nice time. We don't go to, the people in Iran are not dying so that their friends might, I don't know, have a, a loving experience. They do it because Jesus is the way to the Father and eternal life. Because Jesus is the answer. Because without Jesus, we are separated for all of eternity, Jesus has come and has won the victory so that we might have eternal life forever. The men said, whatever it takes to get to Jesus. What they couldn't have known is that Jesus was doing whatever it took to get to them. See, there were sin that, that blocked us from true relationship with Jesus. So the way was blocked. But Jesus instead came down from heaven to earth. He broke through the separation to come to us. And he didn't care what it cost him in the sense that he didn't hold on to anything, but he laid everything down for us. See, the men are like, man, we'll do whatever it takes. We got to get our friend because he needs healing. He needs restoration. And they lowered him down and they met Jesus, who I'm sure was just so filled with joy in that moment of like, you guys get it. Because I'm about to do whatever it takes to get to you. I am gonna, I came to earth for you. I'm going to suffer abuse and scorn and beating and hurt and torture and, crucif- and crucifixion. I'm going to be hung on a cross, I'm gonna be take all of your sin and all of your shame and all of your iniquity to the cross and then I'm gonna be buried and then on the third day, I'm gonna rise again having defeated death, hell and the grave for you. See, Jesus has come and he did everything that it took to be near to us. See, the reason we are able around the world To do whatever it takes so that others might know Jesus is because we serve a God that did whatever it takes so that we might know him John 12 32 says and when I am lifted up from the earth will draw all people to myself he said this to show what kind of death he was gonna die see Jesus broke through why in America Iran China wherever wherever the gospel is preached Why is that that no death, no grave, nothing can stop is because we are doing whatever it takes because we know those that are disciples and pursuant of Christ that we serve Jesus who do whatever it takes and the victory is his and he has overcome and he has given us his spirit and so we love because he first loved us. Right? First John 4:19, the reason that we respond is the reason that we do whatever it takes is because we respond to the love of Jesus. Say, listen, at one point for us, as those who are separated by sin, we were outside, we were on the outside of the promise, we were under the wrath, and yet God sent his son to die for us so that we might come into the promise, into the love, into eternity. And we went from being those who would be separated from God for eternity to those who are now with him in this life and who will spend an eternity worshiping and praising him forever. I'm going to invite the band up. But this is what I love about this scripture. is the meeting of these two hearts, the men who do whatever it takes to get their friend to Jesus, or three hearts, sorry. The man who was lowered, who believed and had faith that he would be healed. And the heart of Jesus who saw his heart reflected in them and said, that's what I do, whatever it takes. Whatever I have to lay down to receive eternal life, amen. Whatever I have to break through, whatever bitterness, whatever pride. Some of you, your life just isn't even set up to do whatever it takes. So you need to do is you need to go to the roof, you need to break through your schedule so that you can get to people. You need to break through bitterness. You need to break through the man-made obstacles. Maybe someone spoke something about your identity, and you need to break through that. God cares about your heart. Break through that. Say whatever it takes to get to Jesus. Whatever it takes to get to Jesus. Do you need healing this morning? Isaiah 53 says, he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds, we are healed. By the wounds of Jesus, you are healed. This is why people come to Jesus is because when we do whatever it takes or maybe you're, you're not the people caring, you're the person on the mat. Hear me, when you come to Jesus today and you say, Jesus, I need you to do a miracle in my life, we serve a God of miracles and he will move in your life and he will do things, he will make you new, he will make you fresh, but he is a God who heals, he is a God that restores. We believe that God is a God of miracles or we should all just pack it up and since we're not packing it up and I'm not going anywhere, then we believe that God is a God of miracles. We stand upon scripture and we say this morning, Listen, God is not far. God is near. God is not hard to find. He is right here. But the important thing that we have to do is say today, I need breakthrough from bitterness. I need breakthrough from pride. I need breakthrough from hurt. I need you, Holy Spirit, to break through because I'm coming down on the roof and just drop me in. And Jesus, you got to deal with whatever lands on the floor. Either heal me or crowd surf me out. But I need something today because I'm not leaving without healing. Jesus, I need you. Whatever it takes, whatever it takes to get them to Jesus, whatever it takes to get us to Jesus, that's the heart of our church. That's the heart of Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me this morning? Close your eyes with me. I'm gonna ask you two questions. One of them is how far are you willing to go to get to Jesus? Man, pride is a killer. Some of us wouldn't even break through the roof because we'd be too afraid what people think of us. We'd be like, ah, I'm just too in my head. It's too in my head today. It's time to get out of your head and time to get through the roof. What are you willing to do to break through to get through Jesus? Because Jesus is not testing you, but we have put obstacles in our life. He's right. He's here with us. And if this morning you would say, Jesus, I surrender my life. This is called the beautiful exchange. We take all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our brokenness, and we lay it down at the feet of Jesus. And I know this sounds crazy. He takes all of that upon himself to the cross because he has already gone there. It's already been done. And in turn, he gives you mercy. He gives you grace. He gives you love and he gives you eternal life. I know that sounds crazy. But if you surrender today your life to Jesus, it says in scripture, the old is gone, the new has come. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. He's a new creation. How far are you willing to go? Are you willing to surrender control? Are you willing to surrender pride? Are you willing to surrender that hurt that so defines you? Are you willing to surrender? I'm not saying it's easy. I'm just saying it's freedom. Are you willing to do whatever it takes this morning? Can I tell you, if you make that choice this morning and you say, if you say, Jesus, I choose to follow you with my life. I don't know all the answers, but God, I need you. I need a savior. I need the hope that comes from you. I need an unconditional love that comes from you. I wanna follow you with my life. I wanna spend eternity with you, Jesus if that's you this morning and you make that commitment, I I know because I know Jesus, that the old is gone and the new has come and that he will do a miracle in your heart in this moment and he will give you a revelation of his deep love for you and maybe for the first time you need to feel safe love that comes from him, pure love that comes from him. If that's you this morning, every eye closed, every head bowed and that's you this morning and you're saying, Jesus, Whatever it takes, I surrender to you. I'm tired of carrying this hurt. I'm tired of carrying my pride. I want you, Jesus. If that's you in this place, would you just lift your hand up? I want to pray for you this morning. down i want to pray we're going to pray together i think collectively praying together is so important even if you prayed this prayer it's just it's an agreement together and it sets our heart in unity so especially if you raise your hand repeat after me but we're all going to repeat together good that was a test (laughs) let's pray dear jesus Come on, with all of our heart. Remember, he's the God who loves you. He's the God who pursues you. He's the God who's done anything, everything it takes to get to you and to connect with you. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I thank you for your love. I thank you for dying for me, for taking my sin and my shame, for rising again for me. And I choose today to surrender my life and all of my heart. I lay it at your feet. And I choose to follow you all the days of my life. God, would you make me new from this moment on. Make me new from this moment on. We thank you, Jesus. I want to pray one more thing with you. One more thing this morning. I believe in a church that has a whatever it takes heart, and I want us to get there before persecution forces us there. I want us to get there because we so deeply love Jesus, not because we're doing it just to survive. Because I believe God has called this church to something amazing, and you're not here by accident. So with every eye closed and every head bowed this morning, I want to give you an invitation. If you are willing to say, Jesus, stir up within me a whatever it takes heart. Whatever it takes heart, meaning... God, may I be the kind of person that surrenders whatever it takes that people might know your love and your goodness and have eternal life. God, may I surrender. And nothing's off limits. Nothing is off limits to you. God, whatever it takes, Lord, I desire for there to be revival in your city. I desire for there to be healing in this place. I desire for there to be restoration. Most importantly, Jesus, we desire it all to come from you and be by you. So whatever it takes, if you this morning want to say Jesus, stir up or whatever it takes. I commit to whatever it takes heart. I just want you to lift your hands with me this morning, and we're going to pray together. We're saying, Jesus, whatever it takes. This is my heart. I have a whatever it takes heart, whatever it takes to share your love. God, if there's a door blocked, if there's a window blocked, God, just build the strength in me because we're going through the roof, Holy Spirit. And we're bringing down the house because we want every person in this city, every single soul, God, to know your goodness and to know your truth. Let's pray together this morning and just receive with our arms lifted. We say, Jesus, stir up in my heart this morning a passion and a fire for your holy name your name is beautiful your name is strong your name is mighty and so this morning we declare God, over our hearts and over this church, that whatever it takes, we surrender. Whatever it takes, we lay down, so that people might know the exceeding joy of Jesus Christ, so that we might win this whole city for you, Jesus. Whatever it takes, if the door's blocked, we're going through the window. If the window's blocked, we're going through the roof. If the roof's too hard, we're going through the walls. We're digging underground, God. Whatever it takes, we pray revival in the name of Jesus. The fire of the Holy Spirit would stir within us. That we would be indignant to the schemes of the enemy, and that we would in turn be in the victory of Christ, and we would see salvations like we have never seen in the name of Jesus. We declare your authority over this place. We declare your authority over our life, and we pray revival, 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 God. Whatever it takes, we lay it down in the name of Jesus. Whatever it takes, we lay it down in the name of Jesus. We praise you. We worship you. Let's lift him up this morning.